0: I just wanted to pray, Heavenly Father. It's a heavy and weighty thing to kind of deal with Your Word, and Lord, it, it's a it's a heavy thing to be in a place where um, uh, where, where we're talking about the meaning and, the, and trying to understand who You are. And I just I just pray, Lord, that we would that we would know You this morning. I pray, Lord, that as I speak, that it would that it would all be true. Uh and that um yeah that yeah, we pray Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say. That you give us hearts that are soft and willing to be moulded by you and your word. We pray, Lord, that the med- that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um so, We're continuing on from where we were last week. I want you to, I want to set the scene for you. Imagine you are traveling with all you have. All all your clothes and your belongings are bound up in bags. You have your household kitchenware and all your money and your jewelry packed up. You're carrying as much food as you can, as well as dragging all your family and livestock along with you. Because the Egyptian army is in pursuit. You've left Egypt, but the army is in pursuit. And they came to a halt within striking distance of of your camp. But then your leader, Moses, sends word around the camp. He says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. And as the message was being passed around the camp, the presence of God moved from in front of the camp to behind the camp, between you and the Egyptians. The army can't cross for now. But the wind began to blow. It blew and blew and blew from the east. And night fell. And that that pillar of cloud took on its nightly fiery appearance. But the wind kept blowing east across the lake. You try and get some sleep. You sleep fitfully because you're afraid. What if the fiery cloud doesn't stop the army? What if they launch a sneak attack at night? What happens come daybreak? You can't sleep anymore, so you get up and you, you quietly wander around the camp. The wind is still blowing. And you look out across the lake and you can make out the shape of a chasm forming in the lake. The wind blowing across, creating a channel. And you can see parts of the bottom of the lake being dried out by the wind. But then there's there's a flurry of activity in the camp. It's a wake-up call. Quick, get up, get packed, we're moving. And so you gather your family and all your belongings. And in the hour that followed, in the darkness of the early morning, you prepared to move again. You formed into your travelling column and you start marching towards the lake. You went the only way that was open to you, into the lake. The wind howled and the bottom of the lake was dry and you marched down into the lake with everything you have, your family, your livestock. You marched down into the lake in that pre-dawn light. But the army behind you spotted the movement and they jumped on their chariots and they started charging towards you. The horde of chariots gave chase. They would not let you go. They pursued you they were defiant now the first of their chariots was was uh, was entered into the lake on the same path that you had just trod and the chariots seemed to be making great headway the horde was rushing down into the lake as you came up out of the other side but then there was a shout and there was confusion one of the chariots was bogged in the lake but they all slowed as they all became fouled up and bogged in the mud And there you sit on the other side of the lake watching this great army of Egypt get caught in the bottom of the lake, staring down in the pre-dawn light with walls of water on either side. You see Moses standing on the water's edge, looking down at the scene below as the sun is starting to peak over the horizon. And he raises his staff and the water begins to flow back where it belongs and the water gushes and sloshes back into place, covering the struggling army, and they're buried beneath the waves. They would disappeared from sight. They were gone. And there was calm. And as the sunlight's rays start to warm the earth, they shine down, illuminating a clear, calm lake. There was no army. There was no pursuit. There was not a chariot to be seen. And you start to wonder, what kind of God is this? Illuminate. What kind of God is of this of ours who can do that? And your fear kind of grows. (laughs) This time you're not afraid of the army, but your fear is of your God. He's plucked you out of the hands of the enemy, and you start to feel relief. You feel the joy wash over you. You feel the tension give way to the feeling of victory. We are free. We are saved. We are Israel and our God is Yahweh. And this causes for celebration. You can't help yourself. You go rummaging through your pack and you grab your tambourine. Who would have thought you needed your tambourine so soon? And there was a procession forming up, up behind Miriam and you go out and you join the throng with the other women and you break into dance and you sing and shout because it's a great day for your people. This will go down in history. We will never forget God's triumph this day. And as you dance and celebrate, Moses stands up and he starts to sing with a booming voice. And that's where we are this morning. We are with Israel standing on the opposite side of the Red Sea, having just seen the Egyptian army decimated. And we have Moses and Miriam and the others all bringing glory and praise and honor to God. And we're going to hang out in this moment, the moment between where God's people have just seen his mighty hand and wonders and before they set out in faith into the desert. They've escaped the clutches of Pharaoh and joy and peace washes over them. They revel in God's work. Now, we're going to look at this this morning and I'm going to be making the case that as Israel and Moses and Miriam reveled in God's work at the edge of the Red Sea, so we too should, should join with them and revel in God's work, knowing that our salvation is even greater than the salvation that they received that day. But what does it mean to revel? Well, We'll see that kind of flesh out in our passage to come but it's that idea of taking great pleasure or delight to make merry indulge in boisterous festivities now you could consider a wild party to be revelry but there's there's a way to revel that is not um given over to sin and 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 and, and selfish indulgence or bad behavior i think sometimes it's it's easy for us to kind of Kind of err on the side of caution and, and not to be willing to rebel. We don't want to get carried away or we don't want to, we don't want to be seen to be, um, you know, we're self-conscious. We don't, we end up with dry and emotionless worship. And sometimes it's not even because we're self-conscious. Sometimes it's just because we don't, we don't feel it. It's usually because we don't know. We're not thinking about what we're doing. We're not considering who we are worshipping. We're not invested in God. We're not reveling in Him. So I want to, I want to walk us through the passage this morning. I want us to think about how we can, we can revel in God's work because the song of Moses shows us five ways, gives us five clues in the way that we can revel in, in God's work. And it gives us clues on who we worship, what we worship Him for, why we worship, and even how worship can take place. But that's, let's look at these five ways. Firstly, the way to revel in God's work is to reflect on what he does. And this is evident throughout this whole song that we read of Moses. It's clear in the, in the first 10 verses especially that where Moses gives a poetic replay of what's just happened before their very eyes. Moses isn't thinking about God in some kind of abstract way. He's, he's recounting what God has just done. He says, I'll sing to God because of the victory he's just given us. So just dive into the text with me from verses one to three to start with. It says, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord for his triumph gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. You see how, see how Moses can respond in praise and honour because of what God did? God threw the horse and rider into the sea. We are saved. Therefore, praise him. And how does Moses know that God is his strength? It's because he's seen it happen. He's seen what God has actually done, how he brought about victory. And that leads Moses towards exaltation. It makes Moses grow in faith and trust and worship. Now, now for you, you would hardly be surprised uh, to trust a trustworthy person. God demonstrates through his works and strength and salvation that he is trustworthy and the object of our salvation. Now, I was thinking... I was thinking about like when you make a big purchase, like if you're buying a fridge or a car or something, and if you're in a position to choose between several options, you'll usually go to the web page and you'll look up reviews and you'll see what people have said about the products that they've bought, and you'll go through and you'll find somebody who had a problem and they'll tell you, you know, how hard it was to get the warranty and whether it was whether they were fixed it first time or. You know, all the problems that they had. And then we make up our minds on what products we'll buy based on the experiences that other people have had, or based on the reputation of, um, of the things that we're going to buy. We usually make up our minds based on how a company has reacted in the past. Their past failures or successes will be what secures trust. The thing is... We can know that we can, we, we can know that we can trust God because He has never failed. It's not like, uh, it's not like the other corporations and, you know, or people in our lives who we know will fail us eventually. We just trust the people who fail us the least. But with God, He has never failed. He has, He is always trustworthy. When it comes to spiritual matters, there is someone who will never let us down. And that's the case for Moses here. He sings the praises of God because of what he's done. Because he knows that God will not let him down. He didn't let them down when they were stuck in Egypt or when they were leaving or when the army was approaching or when they were walking past the walls of water. God didn't let Moses' forefathers down either. So he can turn in trust and praise towards God. He reflects on what God has done in the past and before his very eyes that night. Now I'm not going to go through and look at all the details of the recount of the story here because we, we looked at the story, um, last week. So you can go and listen to that sermon if you like. But it's clear that Moses sees every part, every step of the way that God's hand is at work. It is God bringing about this salvation. It is God, um, bringing to about this judgment. And I think it's worth noting here that, that as we revel in God's work, we revel in both God's judgment and his mercy. Mercy is both... Moses is both praising God for what has done in rescuing Egypt... Uh, let me say that again. Moses is both praising God for what he has done in rescuing Israel, but also for what he's done in destroying Egypt. Oftentimes, I think we like to uh, we like to dwell on the mercy and the grace and forgiveness of God, and rightly we should. But we don't see it in contrast to God's judgment and wrath and destruction. God's God's mercy is is only salvation because we need rescue from something. His mercy means that there is also judgment. All throughout scripture, God is praised not only for his abundant mercy, but also for his triumphant judgment, just like it is here. God's salvation and God's judgment are side by side. And Moses breaks into glorious praise for God because on the one hand, he destroyed the Egyptians and on the other, he saved Israel. And as we reflect ourselves on what God has done to rescue his church, remember that he did it by destroying our enemies he defeats Satan by judgment he defeats death by destruction he defeats sin by substituting Jesus to receive our suffering and he will judge the world so I urge you to reflect on what God has done through Jesus Christ to save us from the demonic hordes and their deceptive leader reflect on the way that God deposes the rebellious people reflect on the way that God has cast our enemies into the seas of chaos reflect on the way that God has incarnated himself as Jesus to shatter the enemy. I hope that you can turn to God and use the words of Moses and say, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy and the greatness of your majesty. You overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes like stubble. So I urge you to revel in God's work. By reflecting on what he has done but also we should realize who god is who, who he is in his substance and his being and we already got a hint of this when moses said the lord is a man of war the lord is his name but moses isn't just describing what god has done he's also describing who god is his nature his character he's a man of war But there's more, if you want to look with me in verse 11 to 12, he says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You see, Moses describes him as the God above all gods. He's not just one of the gods of the Egyptians or of another group. He asks that rhetorical question, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? We know no one, none. He's no he's no fake God. He's not an idol and he's not a spiritual being who can be compared to anything else. He is the Lord. He's above all and, and clothed in majesty. And, and in order to revel in God's work, we need to know who this God is, not only what he has done. You imagine uh, you're at a coffee shop and somebody uh, generously, anonymously pays for your drink. Now, you know immediately by the act of what they have done that there is generosity and kindness there. But until you actually meet the person and find out their name and, 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 and discover their identity, you don't know them. So you can know something about them by their actions, but you won't actually know them till you meet them. And the same goes for us with God. We can know lots about God by his actions, but we also need to know who he is in his person and his being. We need to know his character and his attributes as well as the way he acts towards the world. And I want to ask you, want to probe for a second. Do you know the Lord? Do you know his perfections? Do you have a desire to have some comprehension of his glorious constitution? Do you know why we call God majestic? How is he holy? What does it mean that he is a man of war? I fear for too too many of us here we're content to simply sit back and acknowledge him as God, you know, the great sky fairy. Or or perhaps we we will take it a step further and we will be content to know him as Father, Son, and Spirit. But do do we want to delve in any more? If, if eternity with Him is going to be in His glorious presence and 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 learning from Him and receiving from Him and 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 knowing Him, why don't we want to start that now? Oh, I wish that we would have a, a hunger to know this God. How can we realize who God is unless we seek out and learn who He is? Why do we trust Him for salvation? How would you describe Him to somebody who asks? Who your God is. How can you stand here this morning and worship Him unless you know who you worship? How can you revel in a God that you do not want to know? If you are serious about knowing God, you must receive His Holy Spirit. So I ask you, if you, if you are serious, then you should, then you should ask for God's Holy Spirit, that you may know him. And Jesus assures us that if you seek and knock, God will open to you and he will give you the Holy Spirit. So I urge you to realize who God is so that you can better revel in his work. Because unless you know him, your worship will always be remote. I've entitled this third section, uh, Reverberate God's Fame partly because I wanted another re-word to fit with my others, but also because I think it's a word that helps us to understand the concept pretty well. What we want to do is to reflect and proclaim God's honour and inspire fear of the living God. Yes, I said inspire fear of the living God. Um, Because we expect God's fame to spread. We expect his mighty work to be heard of by others. We'll read verses 13 to 16 to see how God, how Moses revels in God by reverberating God's fame. He considers how all the future opponents of Israel will not be able to withstand God because they'll be trembling in their boots. Look with me. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling, Caesar's the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by till the people pass by whom you have purchased. Do you see that? Do you see how Moses sings about the fear of God spreading to all who stand in the way? Terror and dread fall upon them the story of god's rescue of israel will spread others will hear about it and they will fear we later read on when israel gets to the promised land this comes true rahab says uh when the spies when the spies meet her uh, at um jericho she says as soon as we heard it our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the lord your god he is god in the heavens above and on the earth beneath God's fear and fame spreads, just as Moses was singing about here. And can you blame them? The God of Israel dismantles a world superpower in order to protect his people. He bends the created world to his will. He destroys all those who stand in his way. No wonder they are afraid. And and Moses envisions the terror and fear that will strike the hearts of all who hear. And he rejoices in it. It's a good thing that God's fear spreads throughout the world. Everyone who is opposed to God needs to know what they're getting themselves into. I wonder, do you have the same desire? Do you want others to fear God? God will lead his redeemed people in steadfast love and guide them by his strength, but that should also terrify you. What it meant for Egypt is that God loved Israel, was that Egypt would be destroyed. What will it mean for us in our current day? We love to say that God loves his people and rescues them, but have you thought about the consequences of that? If God loves a people for himself, it also means that there are people that he doesn't love, who do not belong to him. All who proudly stand against him will fall. But this is also why we want God's fear to spread. We want his fame to spread so that people will hear the God they stand in opposition to and they might turn and repent. We want people to know that our God is the Lord. We want all the nations to tremble so that perhaps a few might bow the knee willingly in submission. I want my neighbor to know that it is a terrifying thing to be a sinner in the hands of an angry God. I want my unbelieving family members to tremble at the thought of facing God's judgment. I want my work colleague to dread the day of their death, all in the hopes that they will be driven into the loving arms of our Savior, who will cleanse their guilt and cover them with his blood. I want the terror and the fear of the Lord to spread, but with it I want the gospel to spread. Because good news is not good news unless it is in, is in in contrast to the bad news. The gospel comes as the soothing balm that will heal the brokenness. The gospel must go abroad into every tribe and tongue and nation so that all may know the Lord. So I encourage you to reverberate God's fame by spreading the fear of the Lord. Don't be afraid when you're talking about the gospel to remind people that the good news is in contrast to the bad news. Remember that that God's mighty salvation uh, comes um, in 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 contrast to His to His wrath. Fourthly, we can revel in God's work by receiving the promises, and this is how Moses ends his song. He finishes by reminding Israel of the promises. And he doesn't do it in a wavering way either. He has no doubts about God fulfilling his promises. If you want to read 17 and 18 with me, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Moses expects that God will, will safely lead his people past all of those other nations in fear and, who are in fear and trembling. And and he will plant, he will establish his people. And Moses uses some some uh, some poetic language here. He talks about them being planted on the mountain of God. For the ancient mind, the idea um, they, they thought that that the gods dwelled on the mountains. And so here Moses looks forward to being dwelling with God in His holy place. He he sees this as as an undoing of the scandal of Eden. He sees now God people will dwell with him they will be planted now unfortunately for Israel this part of Moses song this promise was fulfilled sure the people of Israel get taken past all these people they kept planted in the land and they dwell with God in their midst at the temple but the problem is that there was still they weren't established forever there they they still had sin. And it hadn't been dealt with. And so while this promise um, was fulfilled, it's also looking forward to a greater fulfillment that we are also looking forward to. One day we will dwell securely with God forever in paradise in that final undoing of Eden. To revel in God is to receive the promises that he pours out. We know they will come true because God has kept all his promises in the past. There is no reason to doubt now. God kept his promises to Israel in the past and he keeps his promises to the church now. And one of those promises is in Revelation. I'll just bring it up for you. John prophesies, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And then the angel showed me the river and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So this will be the final and full fulfillment of that promise that Moses was hanging on to there. God will, God's people will dwell with him on the mountain in his presence. As Moses looks forward to it, Moses, God's people will be established there and God will reign forever and ever and his people with him. And I want you this morning to receive the promises of God dwell on them, revel in them. That joy and pleasure in the future, God, that in the future that God has for his church. I encourage you not to doubt and worry because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can tear his bride from his loving arms. The world might look like it's falling apart around us with sin and immorality on every side and insanity, but God reigns forever. He sits enthroned on the cherubim. He is majestic in holiness and none can be compared to him. His mighty arm works salvation for his people. And he's promised that all who receive him, all who believe on his name, he will give the right to become sons of God. God will lead and deliver in his steadfast love. So revel in God's work by receiving the promises. It will sustain your hope and inspire your worship. Now, the fifth way that we can revel in God is by responding in praise and honor and dancing. In this last section, we move on from the Song of Moses and we have a look at the Song of Miriam. Miriam shows us a beautiful response to the mighty deliverance of God with dancing and singing, celebration. She leads a procession of rejoicing, giving praise and honor to God. Let's just read verses 19 to 21. Imagine the sight. I I tried to paint a picture of this this joyous celebration in light of of their salvation in the opening of this. I I tried to paint this picture of these people who who are rejoicing out of what God has just done for them. They revel in God's work by dancing and singing and responding to what God has done. And here again we see that God is praised for his judgment of the army. His triumph of the enemy is worthy of praise. These women use their bodies in dancing and playing instruments to express their relief in the rejoicing. They're they're celebrating because there's something to be joyful about. And this, this celebration is our final clue in reveling in God's work. We ought to respond physically and emotionally to the salvation of the Lord. Such a gift is something to celebrate and enjoy and rejoice in. Perhaps we don't do it too well, do we? Perhaps we're a bit worried about what people might think if we're too expressive. The salvation of Israel was a mere shadow of our salvation. It pales in significance. It, it was mighty and it was great, but it looks forward to such a greater salvation that we receive through Christ. Our salvation is so much greater, so much, it is, it is on, a, it's on another scale, another level. The fact that God would rescue his people from the, from the jaws of death, that he would overthrow Satan, that he would, that he would purify us from our sin. Our response ought to be so, so much greater than that of Miriam, because our salvation is so much greater, We don't merely get saved from an army so that we can wander into the desert. We get saved so that we can live with God forever in his presence. And I think sometimes because we're removed from the physical acts of salvation, like we weren't there to see with our own eyes, sometimes it feels a little bit remote. But God performed his wondrous works in front of the eyes of the 12 tribes of Israel on that day at the Red Sea. But then he performed his greatest salvation in front of the eyes of the 12 disciples when he brought Christ onto the earth. But it's all been recorded down for us. We see, even though we were not there for the actual event itself, we see vicariously through the eyes of the apostles who saw the salvation that God worked for us in Christ. We can see our redemption through scripture. But how do you respond? Do you you sit back having heard the gospel message so many times, it's just another Sunday on another month in another year? You've been a Christian for decades and you hear this time after time. Sometimes the familiarity kind of, Makes it lose its shine. But I want you to, I want you to know afresh the grandeur of this salvation that you have received. How will you respond this morning? I I, I urge you to respond in praise and honor to God for the salvation given us in Christ. And we're going to do that in a few moments when we sing. There's an opportunity to respond there. We're going to respond by taking of the Lord's Supper and we're going to revel in what God has done through this. Do not be afraid to respond to God. Express yourself in song, and you can even dance if you want to. But respond with the life of a holy worship as well, a a life of holy worship. The writer of Hebrews says we should, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I ask you to revel in God's work as you proclaim the works of God with your lips. And I hope that you may never lose the fervor to praise God with your voice and your body and your way of life. So as we kind of bring things to a close here, let's just reflect back on what we've seen. We've seen Moses... Stand up and proclaim this glorious song. And in it, he shows us how we can revel in God's work. We've seen that we can reflect on what God has done. We need to realize who God is. We reverberate God's fame. We receive the promises and we respond in praise and honor. I hope that we might be living lives where we continually respond to the salvation that he has given us. He is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Our, our, our responding, our reveling doesn't just happen here on Sunday morning. It needs to go out. It needs to happen throughout our lives as holy lives presented to God as living sacrifices. We have a great and merciful judge. He offers us mercy. Mercy. But he also brings judgment. Christ is our king and he will judge the world. And we can revel in God and receive his mercy. Or we can stand in opposition to God and face his judgment. I for one want to, I want to hang out on this side. I want to hang out in the joy of knowing the Lord and rejoicing in him and glorifying him in receiving the gift that he has given us through Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this picture of what it looks like to respond to your mighty work. We thank you Lord for this, this picture of, uh, of celebration and of joy in response to your mighty work. And we pray Lord that you would, that you would work in our lives by your Spirit to, to bring to us, to, to help us to know the joy of your salvation. And to know what it is that you have rescued us in Jesus. We pray Lord that we would never take it for granted. We would never just be willing to kind of let it be the thing we do on Sundays or to be our cultural identity. We pray Lord that you would, you would fire up in us a heart of worship that would continue throughout all of our, all of our days to respond to you, to give you honour and glory, to revel in who you are.